Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, this week I have heard on NPR a story about a cardboard prom dress. Mm Mm-hmm. About the bajillion dollars that all these recession prom babies are going to spend on non-cardboard mm-hmm. prom dresses and limos and such. And also a story that I ran across before I came into the podcast studio today about a girl who was banned from prom for wearing a Confederate flag dress. She, she argued that it was the school colors. In a very... uh in, in a pattern that just happened to resemble a Confederate flag. So, in other words, what I'm trying to say, Caroline, what I'm trying to get at here is that it's prom season. It is. Why you don't sound excited? Probably because I'm not. I'm not. I'm not 17 anymore, Caroline. <laughs> that you are not. <laughs> and also from the research that we have done about prom. I got a lot of bones to pick with this dance, and it's not just about she's all that-esque plot lines of popular kids excluding the nerdy kids from their cool after parties. Mm-hmm. Prom's just, it's quite, it's quite a mess. It is. Well, I also have bones to pick. So, more than one bone. Bones to pick with parents. Parents okay. of these prom babies. Oh, man. We might be scaring people already. I know. Let's start out though. Let's start on a nice note. Let's let's reel back mm-hmm. our promenade aggression <laughs> and talk about the where where it comes from. Why do high school students go to this dance and wear dresses and tuxes and ride in Hummer limos? Yes. Yeah. Why? Why on earth do we do it? Well, it actually got its start at college. As sort of like this middle class debutante ball type thing. And, uh, this was back in the, in the 19th century. And there were these co-ed banquets held at universities for each year's graduating class. And I thought it was neat that one of the earliest references to prom was found in a male Amherst student's journal from 1894 about being invited to prom at Smith College. And of course, as you, as you already said the word, Prom is short for promenade, the formal introductory parading of guests at a party. For some reason, the, that image of the Amherst student writing away in his journal about prom is very <laughs> vivid di- in my mind. Diary. Dear diary, OMG, <laughs> Clarice asked me to prom. Creepy. Um, oh, sorry, I said Clarice. I yeah. Vivica. Perhaps ask me to promenade. That's okay. Still creepy. Um, but so there's this growing teenage culture that ended up pushing proms younger and younger. And I don't know how it jumped because there are a lot of things that happen in college that I could demand that I wanted in high school, but it didn't like happen. Pizza for breakfast. Yeah, chocolate milk in the water fountains. I know, but so so I don't really know how the jump happened. But proms ended up in high schools, and parents and teachers thought that, you know, this formal dinner and dance, heavily chaperoned, would instill social skills and etiquette in young adults. And really, that was the focus. It was like, let's eat little cucumber finger sandwiches and drink tea. Right. In uh, in 1935, a parents magazine described prom as a dress rehearsal for teens 
quote, gracious manners and good taste, which is such a far cry from the prom that we know today. And by the 1930s, prom had become this nationwide phenomenon for teens, probably with the rise of a distinct teenage culture. Um, And then in 1936, you have publications like the Junior Senior Prom, Complete Practical Suggestions for Staging. The junior senior prom. <laughs> sort of redundant. A little redundant. But it, it really drives home the point. And by the 1940s, a version of prom similar to what we know today had evolved, although I'm sure, you know, minus the stretch, Hummer limos, and the vomiting. Um, and by the 1950s, the post-war economy allowed high schools to move the parties out of gyms and cafeterias and into fancy-schmancy hotels and country clubs for the students to enjoy. And for the lucky class un- when uh, Gerald Ford was president, they got to have prom at the White House. His daughter's high school class had prom at the White House. Fancy. Indeed. Uh, but today, fast forward 50-plus years... It is not just a dance, but as many listeners might have picked up on the news like I have in the past week, it is a full-blown, bonkers, (laughs) money-making industry in which, according to data collected by Visa, isn't that everywhere you want to be? Should I say that? (laughs) Uh, Visa, families with teens are expected to spend an average of, brace yourself, Can I get a drum roll? $1,078. Do you know what I could do with $1,078? That's a lot of candy. That's a lot of satin and tool. (laughs) Yes, and that's up just a couple of years, up from $807 in 2001, which is still a lot of money. And industry experts explain the high cost of prom as, well, it's just the new wedding. (sighs) People are delaying marriage, so now we can drop all this cash on our 17 and 18-year-old sons and daughters going to prom. No, no, no. No. I, I, I don't think that's, I, no. My mother always told me when I was in high school and wanted to like blow all this money on dances and stuff, cause I was a teenager and had absolutely no perspective. Um, so you can't entirely blame it on the teens. But my mother was like, well, if you spend all this money and do all these crazy things in high school, what are you ever gonna have to look forward to in college and beyond? You were like, my wedding, mom. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And Jason Alderman, the director of Visa's financial education programs, describes all of this crazy parental prom spending as social arms race spending. It's extreme, he says. And I understand the um, in in a lot of these stories that you'll see uh, about the trend of prom spending. I, I understand the fact that a lot of parents that they talk to want this to be a special night. I mean, it's not a bad thing that that teens look forward to prom. I was once a teen myself, (laughs) and I remember my junior prom vividly. I was pumped because I had a boyfriend to take, and he was a little bit older, and I got my hair done. And as soon as he saw me with my hair up, he was like, you should have worn your hair down. (laughs) And it was, you know, it was not the magical night of my life, but I was, I, I mean, I was seriously counting the days down. So I understand all the excitement, but the excitement at what cost, especially when industry data finds that parents in the lower income brackets are spending the most. Those making 20000 to 29000 per year will spend more than 2600 almost 10% 
of their income, annual income, on prom. That's nutty. And they said that families in high income brackets will spend only only seven hundred to a thousand dollars. And this is kind of weird. I mean, the, the the percentage of your income being spent on prom is insane. But they write that this mirrors a pattern of depression era proms when families would do whatever they could to look as if they can, could continue to spend. I don't know if that's the exact motivation behind current spending. That is insane. Um, and part of the insanity is here in the South, where they found that a th- uh, families in the South will spend about $1,047, but that's blown out of the water by families in the Northeast who will spend upwards of 2000 And the home base of sensible, thrifty proms is in the Midwest. Good job, Midwest. You, by, by region, spend the least amount on prom at, uh, oh, just 696 Dollars. And because of all this, even though, even though we've had the recession, the prom has essentially been a recession proof industry with, uh, dress sales only going up every year. And according to a Hearst survey of 2,800 teens, they found that 65% said that they would not cut back on spending because of the economic downturn. But I mean, how many of those kids would really be aware or not? They might be aware of the economic situation, but how many of them would be like, oh, gosh, I better rein in spending? Well, I mean, there were a lot of interviews with kids who had after school jobs saving money for prom or saving money for college. But there was this recurring theme of even if they were earning money and they were going to spend a lot of money on prom, it was totally worth it to look incredible in these pictures and have, you know, form these memories that will carry them through their lackluster adulthood, I guess. Oh, dear. Well, David Wilkenfeld, the president of promgirl.com, told Fox Business that if parents are going to skimp, it's not going to be on the dress. This is obviously for the ladies, parents. Um... He said that they basically buy the dress first and then plan everything else around that. And uh, Fox Business points out that the rising cost of prom dresses may be one thing, pushing the price tag of the dance up. And Wilkenfeld, uh, he, he throws out some statistics. He said the cost of dresses that he purchases direct from the manufacturer rose 20% from 2010 to 2011 and 25% from 2011 to 2012. And uh, hello, not everybody's doing so well out there financially, but these dresses are still increasing in price. They're still increasing in price. And so we've established that prom is an exorbitantly expensive event for for the kids, for the parents. Um, and then there's also this issue of drunk driving. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but my high school... Weeks before prom, every assembly that we had, they would hammer home thing of, all right, if you show up, if you show up to the Tillman Center with even the, the faintest scent of alcohol on your breath, you're going home, all of you. <laughs> this is in Athens, Georgia. Someone's talking like this? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we. I don't remember ever getting that talk. I'm sure we did. I'm sure somebody threatened us at some point. But I went to... I don't think I had to worry about driving ever, and I don't think I ever drank before prom. Um, 
I, I have very awkward prom situations, but none of them revolved around drunk driving, thank goodness. Well, maybe it's because statistically, um, not a lot of high school students at least report drunk driving after prom. According to the U.S. News and World Report from 2011, only 6% of students say that they've driven under the influence on prom night, but 90% felt that their peers would uh, drink and drive after prom. And they're more likely to do this on New Year's Eve and during summer break. And it might be because uh, they are expecting to get for you know police to be watching out for them drinking for school administrators for parents to be expecting them to be sneaking in booze but that's at least a, a slightly heartening statistic yeah it is heartening but it could be better and the US news and world report article points out that it's important to educate these kids about reality because if they knew that such a small amount of their peer group was partaking then maybe they would be less likely to do it themselves. Right. Because like we've talked about before, if your peer group is doing it, it sort of normalizes the activity for you. And just because they might not be drinking and then driving, it doesn't mean that they're not drinking to excess somewhere else and just staying put all night, which can possibly lead to our next milestone on this, this prom night extravaganza podcast. And I'm talking about sex. Yeah, there's this, there's definitely this idea, like teen movie centric idea that prom night is this major moment where you're going to lose your virginity to your significant other or to your insignificant other and that everybody's doing it. But that's not really the case. And actually, uh, in this book, Prom Night, Youth, Schools and Popular Culture by Amy Best, she talks to a lot of students and the whole point is, is their attitudes about prom and, and their experiences. And a lot of these kids had really sophisticated things to say about, I mean, I was a teenager once. I was not an idiot. So I guess I shouldn't be very patronizing and say they had sophisticated things to say. But, They were interesting, and the kids did bring up good points. And there was one girl who told a story about being warned not to go to a hotel room and drink with a boy. And Best writes, Implicit is the idea that boys are dangerous, not to be trusted, because they are out for a good time regardless of the cost. So there are teenagers out there worried about drinking and being in a hotel room alone with someone and the consequences. Yeah, she talks a lot about this um, question of whether or not prom is framed as this night of romance for teenagers or a night of drunken, libidinous, unbridled behavior. And it's really dependent on relationship status. You know, for kids who have been in some kind of sweet high school sweetheart relationship, prom is their night sort of to kind of, you know, it is kind of a pre-wedding sort of thing where they dress up the guys in a tux, the girls in a pretty gown, and mm-hmm. it might be the first night that they spend together. Yeah. Um, but this idea of it being... The night of virginity loss. I, we, I wasn't really sure where that came up. That was something that we weren't able to find in research, like when that idea really came up. Maybe it's an attitude of, well, it's the end of high school. If I'm going to do something, I am better do it now. You know, just sort of, <clears throat> I don't know, you're, you're cutting loose with your group of friends. I, I really don't know. And that would be something good to ask our listeners, for well, sure. And Best suggests that uh, boys talk about sex on prom night. Seems to be a way for them to invest in the prom in a masculine way. Because girls get excited about prom because of the gowns and the handbags and the hairdos and all of that. Whereas... 
this whole idea of sexual activity and who will or won't lose their virginity is an outlet for boys to uh, get excited about prom while still adhering to masculinity constructs that say, you can't get excited about dressing up and dancing. Yeah, you can't dance. You're a boy. No. No, that's not right socially. So because of all of these things that we've already talked about with the price, uh, the drunk driving, this strange sexy times aspect to prom, there is a lot of backlash against this high school institution, which was so well summed up by Ann Holbert writing in Slate in 2005. Because when Holbert explains in this essay about how when she was in high school in the late 60s and early 70s, a lot of her peers were boycotting proms because it was not a cool thing to do. And yet it's her baby boom generation of parents that is shelling out now a thousand plus dollars to send their kids in a Hummer limo to prom. Right. Yeah, she says that countless baby boomer parents of today's prom-age teenagers never experienced that coming-of-age ritual. And therefore, today's prom, quote, has morphed into a bacchanal sponsored by staggering parental largesse. And she points to Long Island's Kellenborg Memorial High School, a Catholic school, which in 2005 addressed a parent's complaints about not having prom by saying that the whole thing is, quote, so much beyond our control that it is mere tokenism to put our name on it. And school officials cited to the parent a a flaunting of affluence, assuming exaggerated expensive and a pursuit of vanity for vanity's sake that they didn't want to have anything to do with. Right, and that's just one isolated example of how schools and other like parental organizations, anti-drinking organizations, um, have come out against prom-related activities because there is a lot that goes along with it. There is a lot of negative behavior that happens on prom night. Let's be honest. Um, and also, one uh, one thing that isn't talked about a lot when it comes to prom and the legacy of prom is how it has been a tool of bigotry for a long time and in a lot of places and not in the distant past either. Right. So first, let's talk about how prom might be a different sort of prospect for LGBTQ teens. Yeah, one important case was GLAD's uh, 1980 case, Aaron Frick versus Richard B. Lynch. Frick asked a boy to the junior prom, but it turns out that actually attending the prom would require a federal court order. He said, he wrote a, a memoir, he said that he didn't want to feel left out anymore, but he also wanted to make a statement to his peers about his equality. And the judge ruled that Aaron's desire to take a same-sex prom date was protected under the First and the Fourteenth Amendments, um, which would be the First Amendment right to free association and your Fourteenth Amendment right to equal protection of the laws. Um, and he also wanted to express his views that as a gay student, he had those same rights as mm-hmm. his heterosexual peers to enjoy the prom. And so this landmark case and ruling in 1980 has set a legal precedent for other um, gay teens to 
bring their own cases when other schools have prohibited them from doing things like bringing a same-sex date or dressing in a non-gender conforming way, such as a girl wanting to wear a tuxedo to prom. Right. And that brings up the more recent case of Constance McMillan. This was in Mississippi two years ago, a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. She was barred from prom because she wanted to not only bring a girl to prom, but she wanted to wear a tux. And so there was this big brouhaha. A lot of, you know, media attention was shed on this tiny town in Mississippi. And so they end up saying, okay, fine, you can go to prom. She shows up and it's, it's like a diversion. It's, there's seven people there and there was a private prom being held somewhere else. So it's a diversionary prom yeah. that the school board created to. Yeah. Oh, it makes no sense to me, Caroline. I know. It really makes no sense. Um, but the ACLU does offer LGBTQ teens form letters on their website uh, for principals and superintendents and also links to legal resources in case they are hassled during prom season for same-sex dates and prom attire and all of that, which uh, it, it, it is... Um, it is mind-boggling to me to think that in 2012 this is still an issue of who you bring to the dance. And it's not just an issue in terms of sexual orientation, but also in terms of racial segregation. For instance, in 2008, as in four years ago, NPR reported on Charleston High School in the Mississippi Delta region, also hometown of Morgan Freeman. Uh, they held their first interracial prom that year, which was documented in the film uh, Prom Night in Mississippi, 2008. Yeah. And some white parents still ended up holding a separate prom mm-hmm. because a lot of people in the community just were not comfortable with it. And there's this excellent, really <laughs> in-depth essay, Black and White Prom Nights, The Unconstitutionality of Racially Segregated School Proms, in the 21st century, which appeared in the Journal of Gender, Race, and Justice in 2007. And they're basically saying, look, you can't skirt the whole Brown versus Board of Education role by saying that prom isn't officially affiliated with or provided by the school. Right, because by having, I think in the case of Charleston High School, for instance, they held prom every year, but they held a black prom and a white prom. And that would um, go directly against uh, the federal ruling in Brown versus Board of Education, which struck down that separate but equal rule that was, uh, hence overturning Plessy versus Ferguson. Yeah, and there are a lot of schools in these communities in the South. Uh, this, this essay that I talked about focuses specifically on some Georgia counties in particular. Um, but they basically talk about how these, these racially segregated proms have become tradition ever since the schools were desegregated. Mm-hmm. And it just became part of the community tradition, so that way it's it's normalized in everybody's minds, and nobody has been really strongly fighting against it until the media kind of blew up the whole situation. Yeah, and the author, Rhea Harrison, points out that um, extracurriculars in these schools are integrated. So are we worried about how the whole, all the rights of prom, such as the sort of pre-wedding aspect of it, of dressing up and dancing cheek to cheek, would lead to romantic relations between people of different races? Is that the discomfort that... I mean, you've seen Footloose, right? You know what dancing can do. Yes. Dangerous. It is silly. And and she, the, the writer mentioned one particular school, I can't remember which off the top of my head, but the, the uh, black students who were on the sports teams at the school threatened to quit the team 
if they didn't get to have an integrated prom. And so all of a sudden, like, oh, well, okay. Well, I mean, I guess we could have a prom with everybody. You know, so it, it takes something like that to to make people say, well, okay, maybe we should bring all of our students together. Well, if you think about it, too, um, especially when you... You look at prom through this darker lens of segregation and bigotry. I mean, it is, it is sort of a practice of heteronormativity. You know, you have couples coming. There's this whole strange romance to it. Um, and I guess maybe you could say that about any high school dance, but I don't, there's something about prom and the legacy of prom that has made it this huge thing in American culture mm-hmm. that comes with all of this baggage attached. Yeah. Aside from, I mean, who cares about, you know, an $800 price tag on a gown that you'll probably wear once? I mean, we do that with, with wedding gowns too, mm-hmm. but it's all of this other social baggage is mind boggling. This is the second time I've used the word mind boggling <laughs> in this podcast. Well, it's that boggling of the mind. So Caroline, we, we've, as we said at the top of this podcast, we had some bones to pick, and pick them we did like a dozen chicken wings exactly. after well, prom. I, I don't think I don't think you're a bad parent if you spend a lot of money on your kids' tux or dress. I don't think you're a bad kid if you accept money from your parents or if you want to go to prom or whatever. Absolutely not. I'm not passing judgment. I, I'm just saying that I agree with some of these writers and that it's crazy. I mean, I my parents gave me money in high school, but I don't think we ever spent that much on me going to a dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not a thing about the desire to want to go. I wanted it, like I said earlier, it was this idea in my mind, and it was direct from teen movies that I had seen, and the reality was not exactly (laughs) the same. Um, But I think it's time for us to think twice about what kind of messages all of this is sending. Yeah. Go out, have fun, dance, kick off your shoes and be footloose and fancy free. No problem with that. Um, but uh, but prom's got a darker side and it's not just about drunk driving and loss of virginity. Yeah. So let us know your prom stories with that, though. And prom pictures, we want to see... All of them. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to dig mine out. Yeah, I, I, I had them posted on a GeoCity site in high school, but GeoCity's got taken down. Oh, I wish it was still there. Yeah, I'm gonna. Caroline and I are both gonna try to find our prom pictures, post them on Facebook, so that you can see you can see my updo, <laughs> see whether or not my ex high school boyfriend was right in saying I should have taken my hair down. Yeah. Wah, wah. So with that, send us your stories. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send them. And speaking of high school and college traditions, I've got an email here from Kat about our episode on where spring break came from. And she writes, I got a chuckle out of your spring break podcast and was glad to hear you mention Breakaway, because although I certainly consider myself a fun-loving college sophomore, I'm among the growing number of students joining the alternative break movement who aren't settling for a typical collegiate spring break. Breakaway trips take volunteering to the next level with special requirements like extensive pre-trip 
issue education, team bonding, reflection, and post-trip reorientation. The breakaway model empowers students to move beyond simple feel-good volunteerism into active citizenship and activism by giving them first-hand experience with social issues and teaching them to look critically at the problems that affect their regional, national, and international communities. My freshman year, I went on a breakaway trip to a charter school in North Carolina, and this year I had the pleasure of co-leading a trip to an urban farm in Virginia. I was so impacted by my experiences that I decided to major in sociology and pursue a master's in education. Next year, I will have the pleasure of working for Breakaway through my school's Office of Community Engagement and Scholarship as a student director. And since I'll be training site leaders and coordinating the trips, I won't be going on any myself, and I'll have my first <laughs> real spring break vacation to do whatever I want, maybe even some jello shots. <laughs> so thank you, Kat, for that. This email is from Leslie. She's writing about our marathon episode and wanted to tell us about her mom who runs marathons. She said, back in the early 90s, my mom, Kathleen, was a serious runner. I have such fond memories of my dad packing my brother and I into the car at 4.30 a.m. so we could drive mom to the starting line of the Houston Marathon. We'd wait in anticipation for the cannon shot that would start the race and yell and scream as mom ran by. My dad would then hurry us back into the car and race off to the five-mile mark where we would wait for mom and yell like banshees, and then it was back into the car again. We did this for every five-mile marker, and my dad would always have a change of running shoes for my mom just in case she wanted them. My mom is an incredible athlete and woman. She trained for years for marathons, including qualifying for and running in the Boston Marathon, all while being a full-time mom to two incredibly active kids, holding a job as a secretary, and taking care of my dad, who was continuously treated for cancer, went into remission, and relapsed several times over the years. She says running was a way for her to keep her sanity and stay in shape. To this day... I know that there's always time for a run, even if my PJs sound like a much more comfortable option. So thanks, Leslie. Yes, thanks to Leslie and Kat and everyone else who has written in. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. And you can also send us messages, likes, hellos, and the whatnot on Facebook. And follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And if you want to learn more about culture, history, teenagery, yep, I made that word up and all that other stuff. You can head over to our home website. It's HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?